0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots, taxpayers, and good, all-around loving Americans who actually love and care about your communities and don't want them insidiously transformed by our political and cultural elites. Welcome to the Conservative Review podcast, the one and only, independent, conservative news and views venue increasingly only independent conservative news and views venue venue that actually actually focuses on the key issues that matter in your lives and that's what we're going to talk about today i'm still a little bit off recovering from that crazy kidney stone really more specifically those narcotics oh my gosh i cannot imagine how people uh, are hooked on them long term but I could just tell you um, I, I it, it's still destroying half my system I still look like garbage got bloodshot eyes and everything but certainly glad to be here back with you today full service video and audio so you could subscribe both at iTunes or to our YouTube page at, at CR certainly we have continued our written content my colleagues at Conservative Review while I was gone um Our print uh, stuff, which is important as well. And, you know, on the one hand, I could just basically go home for three weeks, be sick for three weeks, and nothing will change. It's going to be impeachment all day, all the time, the same way it was Mueller all day, all the time for a year and a half in the first half of Trump's first term, where Republicans controlled all three branches of government, yet Democrats won on every political issue, and then ultimately won the midterm elections. And what I've been trying to do here, which is unique really to any show, is to actually focus on what we can do with Republicans having control in first three branches of government, now two of them, and certainly in state governments where they have control, in defining the roles of the various bodies of government What is the role of the judiciary? What is not the role of the judiciary? Because if we don't do this, what winds up happening, and you're going to see this from today's show more than any other show, to drive home our thesis and our purpose of existing, not just to have a show to have one man, Daniel Horowitz, mouth off, but to build a movement to actually focus on what matters to our neighborhoods and communities, but not just in terms of the traditional local you know, when is the garbage collection going to come type of issue, but issues that matter to our civilization, our system of government, our sovereignty, our security. And yesterday we really spoke a lot about crime, but I want to piggyback off what we started, what we ended off with, how popular the issue of going after sanctuary cities is, how even illegal aliens oppose this notion of harboring criminal illegal aliens in their communities. And the missed opportunity that I believe Republicans are are on the track, are on track for in the Senate if they don't change course. Today, today, I'm here to tell you Republicans need to summarily dismiss impeachment in the Senate. Not take a long time showcasing how inadequate the House's case of impeachment was. If it's inadequate, make it inadequate, dismiss it within a day or two and then go on to impeach sanctuary cities in the budget bill that matters now, rather than giving the Democrats what they want in the budget, but giving Republican and conservative talk radio um, a month or two months long impeachment trial that we know what the outcome is going to be anyway. And meanwhile, the Democrats continue to win on the civilization issues. And I want to bring that out in a very vivid way today. A lot of you often ask me, what is it we can do? You gave over the case very well. What is wrong with our country? What's wrong with the courts? What's wrong with our state governments? Um, what's wrong with the Republican Party? How it has failed to be a bulwark against this globalist political cultural elite that really is out of touch really with all Americans, not just conservatives. Um, what What is it we can do? And I have something very specific I really want to focus on, like a laser beam, in the coming days and weeks that is extremely local, that cuts to the core of what affects this communal neighborhood trans- transformation, uh, city transformation, county transformation that we talk about in the show all the time. But at the same time, unlike impeachment, is something that actually will have a definitive outcome that you can actually affect, every one of you, every one of you can affect, I mean, unless you live in a really left-wing, loony-bin place, but even then, if you coalesce a group of people, you could affect your local officials, all thanks to something Donald Trump did. And you know where I'm headed if some of you are smart, with refugee resettlement. But before I talk about that, I'm going to wait till the latter part of the show to kind of build on that, to, to discuss a direction where we shouldn't go with our focus. For once, I'm going to discuss just real, real briefly impeachment. Just from a standpoint. Um, that I want to not discuss it and why I think Senate Republicans should not discuss it. And how they could have their cake and eat it too politically, both protect Trump, protect the outcome of the election, and actually accomplish something on policy. Okay, here it is. So it's very likely, and Nancy Pelosi pretty much announced that earlier today, that before Christmas break, we're, we are headed for a house party line vote on impeachment um they have a majority they might lose a handful of democrats in vulnerable districts but they're going to have an exclusively party line vote to impeach the president now a lot of people don't understand um colloquially when we when when we speak conversationally we often use the word impeach almost to sound like we're you know convicting or evicting the president from his office. That's not what it means. It means to inquire. And all the House can do is inquire. Here are the articles of impeachment. I want the Senate to inquire about. It. The Senate is what conducts a trial, and you need 67 votes to convict a president. And everyone knows that will never happen. They're never going to get anywhere near that. They're not going to get a majority um fifty one votes much much less sixty seven votes, and that's typically not typically that's exclusively what you need. What a lot of people don't understand is the Senate has no constitutional obligation to take up impeachment a lot people often forget that one of the unsung ill forgotten checks and balances embedded in our system of government is bicameralism in the legislature we we often talk about the checks between the three branches but we forget that the predominant branch the strongest most important branch which is why it was put first in the constitution as article one the legislature is divided into two it wasn't always the initial design but it's something they came up with and i've i've said this At great lengths in many shows on judicial supremacy, a lot of libertarian judicial supremacists often are like, well, Daniel, you need counter-majoritarianism. What if a majority of people in a legislature get together to do something stupid? Um, You need the courts to veto that. And I say, well, first of all, it's just not in the Constitution. There's no such veto. You made it up. You might want it to be true. But second of all, what they forget is that in addition to, first of all, you need the president's signature which is a totally separate branch of government in order to enact something, Um, not in the case of impeachment, obviously, for obvious reasons, they kept the president out of it. But for typical legislation, you have the House and you have the Senate. They're structured very differently. They're elected differently. And under the original constitutional design, remember, they were completely different before the uh, 17th Amendment, Because it was essentially the states, not the people directly, the states through the state legislators electing the senators, whereas the people directly elected the House. So you have one legislative branch that's really two heads that are often at opposing forces with with each other. I cannot tell you how many times, even when the same party controls both branches... There are numerous pieces of legislation that overwhelmingly pass one, but are overwhelmingly ignored or defeated in the other branch. Um, Even in this era of partisan party divide, sometimes the same party, you get very different results. Um, And then that was by design. That is a built in check. It's it's typically hard to get something new past both um, houses of the Senate. Of 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 Congress, the House and the Senate, and and as an aside, that's why judicial supremacy is stupid, and that's why why as I note all the time, the Council of Revision that they had, um, that they originally conceived under Madison's original design, which gave the Supreme Court, by the way, together with the President, not exclusively, a veto power over legislation, that was under a system of a unicameral um legislature. So the legislature was very powerful. It also had other powers to veto state laws and it needed a it needed a more robust check on it, but part of it was because it was unicameral. Uh, but but anyway, there are plenty of bills that are just ignored. If you look at the technical language in the Senate rules or you know um Senate procedure will be a, well House passes a bill. The Senate receives managers and messages that a bill has been passed almost as if it's something official that they have to take up, but they don't and they don't have to. And they they often don't. And a lot of times it's not just because of, oh, well, you know, the same party that controls the House might control the Senate, albeit they don't have um, 60 votes to overcome a filibuster. Sometimes it's even without the filibuster, even if there's, you know, enough to overcome it. Still, there's just not enough support and there's no desire to bring it up and they could ignore it. And my view is the Senate needs to ignore the impeachment. Now, some want to suggest, and I don't have time to get into the debate, that yes, you're right, Daniel, constitutionally, they could do that, but Senate standing rules require a specific process to have some sort of a trial. Um, first of all, I would note that the majority party in the Senate seems to be able to sidestep senate rules whenever they want to uh so you know give me a break but number two is so if you don't completely ignore it it, you know it's kind of semantics my point is they should dismiss it on a motion to dismiss because like any trial you could engage in an elongated inquiry or you could have a just dismiss it the judge could dismiss it so in this case make 100 senators the judge we know it's going to be party line anyway and dismiss it and, and my point politically is this. It's this. Everyone agrees at this point it has become a political sham. A lot of people, and they might have good reasons, hate Trump and believe he's a terrible president, terrible human being. And clearly he has lost favor with a lot of suburban voters, a lot of independent voters, a lot of moderate voters. But few people understand the issue of impeachment. What exactly the is is and which and which is why the Democrats aren't picking up on the, in, in the polls on this. It, it, it's not necessarily even that they might even be wrong. I mean, I think everyone in this audience believes they're wrong. But what's interesting is Caroline Fredrickson, who is a lawyer in the White House under Clinton during impeachment. She has an opinion piece. in The New York Times will uh, will show here on the screen so you guys could uh, check this out. Democrats don't overreach on impeachment. And she notes how it's so cumbersome, the complexity of the story doesn't help the cause. There's an array of possibly impeachment behaviors that any intelligible storyline has been blurred, if not obliterated. And she's basically saying that, look, under Clinton, everyone understood what the issue was. Under Nixon, everyone understood what the issue was. Here, it's like they can't even articulate what the is is. But what I've noted before is the Democrat strategy is this. Everyone knows it's going to be only Democrats supporting it in the House. Everyone knows that that because they don't control the majority in the Senate, much less two thirds, they can't convict him. But what they want to do is exactly what I fear they're going to accomplish, which is allow just a general negativity about the president to bleed through all the all the while republicans agree to the democrats on all the policy issues and the senate passes the house budget bills and president trump himself while he's being impeached by them signs them into law i mean this has been the story of the last 3 years they get everything they want and not that they're going to make him bleed further on this ukrainian thing that people don't even understand but that they're going to prevent the president from winning on any issues exposing the radicalism of their people accentuating the extremism of the policy issues of their presidential candidates and paralyze the nation on this so therefore the default that stands is just trump's general unpopular um, persona and image in the eyes of swing voters And my fear is if the Republican Senate just takes this by saying, all right, now we'll have a two month trial and we'll try to debunk in great detail that people don't understand to begin with why the Democrats are wrong and why it was an inadequate um, lack of due process trial uh, or inquiry in the House. I don't think you're going to score points with that. And what's worse is while they do that, unless you and I step in, and this is not the main activism point I was going to get to, but as an aside, something we need to push. Before Christmas, while the Democrats are voting to impeach the president, Senate Republicans will pass a budget bill giving them all their spending priorities, funding sanctuary cities while not funding ICE deportations, interior enforcement, And the border wall. And President Trump will will sign it. We need to say no to that. We need a full fight. Because imagine if you have a fight. On whether other countries criminals. Should be harbored in our cities. Whether cities should unambiguously violate federal immigration law. Not complicated stuff with Ukraine. Everyone understands that. We said yesterday. That even an illegal alien in Aurora, Colorado, who was attacked. This guy, um, uh, Banda Estrada, he was uh, attacked by criminal aliens that were released by a county sheriff's office despite a nice detainer. This guy, who is an illegal alien himself, said, why are you going to leave a person in the country that is a criminal knowing they're a criminal? Could you imagine that? Even an illegal alien gets this. Ron DeSantis, who is stronger in immigration than Trump, but doesn't have the persona problems. He has the highest approval rating in the nation of any governor. He's a um, Florida governor. A new poll from St. Leo's uh, University has him at 67% approval among Hispanics. 57% 57% approval among Democrats, 63% approval among, among blacks, 66% approval among females, not much of a gender gap. He's certainly loved by seniors, but he has 66% approval even among the youth, 18 to 35. That's unheard of for a Republican. Because he has harnessed winning issues on immigration. He has harnessed the sanctuary issue which is the slam dunk issue of our time. Republicans need to have summarily dismissed this and impeach sanctuary cities, hold endless hearings throughout December and January with hundreds of angel families who have had their loved ones killed in ways that are 100% preventable because they were repeat offender criminal aliens, foreign repeat offenders that should have been out of the country And then hold a series of votes on anti-sanctuary legislation and then refuse to fund a bill or or at least force votes on a funding bill that funds border security, but defunds the cities that are doing this. And then make the House respond to them rather than somehow they have to respond to the House's impeachment stuff. The Republican argument on impeachment is what? It's essentially this. This is the flimsiest, narrowest impeachment we've ever had. It's even if you believe fundamentally that such negotiations with a foreign leader would be an impeachable offense. We don't have any first-hand witnesses alleging this. It's all hearsay, and you're and and you've already included concluded your inquiry without getting those people. We haven't had anyone come and confront the pre- president accusatory way. So fine. So. List, make this case in one day in the Senate, have speeches on it, and hold a vote to dismiss. Democrats will say you can't do it, and Republicans will, and done. That's going to be the end result anyway. And then, oh, we can't do this. Then go on to have a national budget fight, and I don't care if it leads to a shutdown, because if you have a shutdown over impeachment, how do you explain it to the American people? Well, ah. Uh, Ukraine, ambassador, this, that. But with impeachment, it's very simple. An illegal alien understood it. Why are you leaving other countries' criminals in this country? And how are local communities able to thwart federal law? Everyone understands that. This is an issue Democrats are terrified of if Republicans would actually press them on it. This is what I just don't understand Why they won't do my fear is they're going to do the opposite. Mitch McConnell already promised we're going to have a full fair trial with transparency and due process. And then in the meantime, I guarantee you they'll give the Democrats an omnibus bill. They'll give them what they want on policy. It makes no sense. The only thing it benefits is these stupid colleagues of mine that love their hot takes on impeachment. So now it's going to be even more fun because now you'll have Republicans controlling the process on the Senate side. Oh, Schiff said this and Nadler did that and no one understands it. The same reason no one understands it, the Democrats doing it. They're not going to understand the Republicans debunking of it either. They seem to think, some of my colleagues seem to think that you're going to somehow have this Elijah on Mount Carmel moment of clarity where they're going to expose the extremism of democrats through their insidious impeachment in the house not really it's going to be no runs no hits no errors on all sides it's too cumbersome the same way it's hurting the democrats not really hurting them but they're not scoring points on it you're not going to score points on like counter-attacking them on impeachment you counterattack them on sanctuary cities that is an issue believe me that you could have an Elijah Mount Carmel moment. If you had a see the the border wall has already become too political and associated with Trump. That's what the um, shutdown was over last year, Christmas. But if you had a shutdown fight over sanctuary cities, over other countries, rapists and criminals, if you just took the stories we have published at conservative review, the last half a year, there's endless fodder and there's endless other cases where they come from. There's endless victims. And it cuts to the core of the rule of law, how a local community could say, I'm not going to follow federal immigration law, which is national, international by nature. That is what needs to be done on impeachment. I'm not saying to back down on it. I'm saying summarily dismiss it in the Senate. See, one of the areas I disagree with some of my colleagues on is that a lot of them are trying to invoke due process. Like, as if this is a legal thing where you need a trial. Oh, the Democrats are doing things behind closed doors. They're not according the president due process. They're they're, they're not, you know, allowing him to be confronted by his accusers. And I don't disagree, but at the same time, Republicans say this is all political. They're right. Impeachment is political. If we're legal, you would have a legal process. It's not. It's a political process. Now, yes, to be fair, the, the assumption was it wasn't going to be over political issues it was going to be high crimes and misdemeanors but at the end of the day they gave a process that it's it's congress going after the president now they purposely set a high threshold of 67 votes in the senate which were never achieved at the, yet yet but yes exactly the democrats hate trump it has nothing to do with any specific issue they're throwing a bunch of things up against the wall to get them to stick. And that is their prerogative. You're right. You have a majority in the House. You don't have to have due process. You have the votes. Fine. Guess what? Garbage in, garbage out. Article 1, Section 2 says the House of Representatives shall have the sole power over impeachment. Article 1, Section 3 says the Senate shall have the sole power over trying impeachment. So part of that sole power is the prerogative not to try or to summarily dismiss it. That's the point. And look, you know, I'm pretty sure, I don't know if it was eight, nine times in 1868, this is what the Senate did with the impeachment against Andrew Johnson. The House voted on it like 11 times and the first number of times, eight or nine, the Senate actually um, ignored it. It It was the same thing. There was enough Republican support for johnson that didn't want it in the senate there's a whole backstory to that and they said look uh we're you know we're not taking this up eventually they did and uh johnson came within one vote of being convicted but the system works that way see they they lock themselves into this whole process oh we need a trial so then they're oh you can't get away without doing a trial no House Democrats had a sham process that was completely party line. So we're going to shove a party line dismissal right back at you. If you want to do your homework and have a firsthand accuser come forward with more details, we could take a look at it later. Meantime, let's let's talk about sanctuary cities. Let's impeach Baltimore, San Francisco, Philadelphia, New York. And let's go one by one and say, wait a minute, we are taking up a budget bill right now and we are not going to give federal Law enforcement, grant funding, transportation funding, other funding for localities that thwart the most foundational federal laws and harbor other countries, rapists and murderers and drug traffickers and drunk drivers. It's that it's that simple. And that is an issue you could win on. It's been proven. The polls show it. you're not going to win. I mean, who's going to win are all my colleagues that earn a living on this. Now, here's the deal, and this ties into what I'm talking about. So many of my colleagues that have earned a living on Mueller and then impeachment that are enjoying themselves while Rome burns, while the left wins in the states, they win in the culture, they win in the courts, they win in Congress, they win in budget, they get Trump with all three branches to sign terrible budget bills that actually prohibited ICE from deporting some of the worst traffickers That remember that provision in the February budget bill? I mean, they're out to lunch on what matters, and they think they're protecting Trump and they're being pro Trump. First of all, they need to be pro America. They need need to do what's right, what's conservative, whether Trump agrees or not. But ironically, Trump is actually helping us on certain policies, and they're ignoring it. Here's what we can influence Imagine if every talk radio station. Conservative talk radio that has local talkers as well as national talkers as well as national networks and and writers on the right that cannot influence one iota of impeachment. The outcome is ordained in the House, preordained. The outcome is preordained in the Senate. They focused on this. One of the best things Trump has done, to his credit, that we should take yes for an answer, but we're not, that we can influence tomorrow, but that if we don't, while we're distracted on impeachment and, and, and all this stuff, and the left is winning, even in red states, is refugee resettlement. Fundamental transformation of our neighborhoods. With all of the social and fiscal problems that you have. In these third world countries being brought in carte blanche, transforming places like Amarillo, Texas, like Portland, Maine, all sorts of areas in greater Minneapolis. Um, But but also places in, you know, Omaha, Nebraska, where you now have Congolese and Sudanese gangs and drug trafficking places in North Dakota, all over almost all 50 states. 67 languages being spoken in Portland, Maine schools, more languages than being spoken in New York City. The cultural fiscal burden on on these localities. Refugee resettlement. One of the things, and and it's one of the most insidious forms of social transformation without representation imaginable. The UN works with State Department bureaucrats to work with nine VOLAGs. These are the nine private private contractors that are parasitic organizations that get a hundred percent of their revenue from government to with against the will of the people transform their communities. It's the Lutheran charities, Catholic chari- charities, Hebrew immigrant aid society to name a few of them, even though they don't um, resettle any Jews, they resettle only they should call it the Muslim immigrant uh, aid society. Um, these organizations where you have people like Hatfield who, who heads highest and the other heads of the Lutheran charities and Catholic charities make $400,000, $500,000 salaries a year all on your dime so you could pay for the rope to hang yourselves and destroy some of the communities that you've grown in, up in throughout many generations. And they work and they privately have done this over the years and have transformed neighborhoods over the last several decades. One of the things many of us have fought for for many years is a simple proposition. I wrote about it in chapter eight of my book and Trump fulfilled it, which is to give local communities input, meaning not not that they have veto power over every immigration decision. But refugee resettlement is something unique. It's not individualistic. It's it's holistic. It's at a corporate level where they're carte blanche, often taking dozens if not several hundred third world families and plopping them often not in la or new york but in highly impacted small to mid-sized cities um and straining their social services their schools their culture and really everything imaginable bringing in basically everything you have you know we spoke about this before on the show Let's say competing Somali gangs, warring factions in Mogadishu. You literally have that in Minnesota now, warring factions fighting each other. And a lot of you have sent me stuff. And I need you to keep on this beat because this is, this is where you guys can help me. Email me at dharwitz at blazemedia.com. I want to have Ann Corcoran on this show. I need to get a hold of her from refugeeresettlementwatch.com. Terrific blog. She's been focusing on this issue for years, and she is raising an SOS alarm. The president has agreed, and he signed an executive order um, on September 26th to be finalized uh, December 25th, where the State Department is going to come up with some sort of process basically requiring affirmative opt-in, meaning affirmative support, where both the county government, so it could be a mayor, it could now, they have to determine it county council, city council, plus you need both the governor, which makes sense because it impacts the state at large, the county at large. They both have to sign off in order to get resettlement. Now, the contractors have to show up to the State Department and show that they have localities that are contracting with them and support them in order to get funding. So their entire livelihood depends on the success of their campaign. And Corcoran, God bless her, has warned that we've all missed the boat. The president has given us this gift. As we well know, even in overwhelmingly Hillary districts, counties, the people oppose this if they had a say on it. Now, they're not getting direct votes on this. And for the most part, we're a representative democracy. And that's fine. It's the local officials that at least people could throw out and hold them accountable and pressure them. Um, that they might lose their seats if they support refugee resettlement. The problem is no one knows about it because the problem is none of my colleagues are talking about it. This is something at a local level that is happening in every red county of every red state in America. That if all of you and all of talk radio would activate these people, this would be over in a second. We would lock up these um, one jurisdiction after another saying no refugees, no refugees instead we don't have any men on the field. It's the left and these VOLAGs that, are, that have an enormous amount of backing by these Soros NGOs have this step-by-step guide to AstroTurf, the governors, um, the, every single mayor, every single county executive, county commissioner, city council member, um, to go and, uh, and preemptively support it so they can go to the State Department and say, here we have support. Now, you might think, all right, Daniel, we're only going to have refugee resettlement in blue cities within blue states. Let's say, for example, New York City. So you have a a terrible governor and you have just crazies, you know, supporting there. You have um, uh, locally, you have San Francisco, L.A., California. As opposed to some of the more rural parts of California where you would need the governor would support it, but local officials might not. I'm here to tell you that in Trump counties in North Dakota, Cass County, they have successfully gotten them to sign off on it. Because as you well know, Red County Republican elected officials are not the same as Red County Republican voters. Because most Republican elected officials, certainly governors, are like Lamar Alexander. They're rhinos. They at best are amendable to the one-sided pressure of these organizations astroturfing without any opposing force. And really at worst, many of them downright supported any. anyway. You have Utah, Governor Herbert, saying I, we absolutely support, the, we support this. You have in North Dakota, um, and, and reports that the governor, of, of a Republican governor, has preemptively come out and supported this from AP. Governor Doug Burgum, Announced Tuesday he's embracing an executive order from President Trump. He says, basically, it should be a local decision. But what he's doing is he's saying that if the contractors could get any locality and bully them, he's not going to veto it at a state level. So then they're going to the counties and they won in Cass County. Now, she reports a great success story in Burley County in Bismarck where voters were tipped off to it. They were activated. They came out in force against it. But in other places, this is happening very quietly. They're pressuring and bullying these local officials. They're astroturfing it. And on all the local talk radio where conservatives get their news, it's all impeachment all the time. How could you, Joe Smith, conservative voter, American, or not even conservative, you might even be a Democrat voter, um, but you don't want this. Many of them don't want this. You can't influence the outcome of impeachment. But this, in your local county, almost always you could influence this. You get a couple people together, you'd be shocked at how much influence you could have because that's what the left is doing. This is the essence of why you and I exist. This is the essence of the missed opportunities of the last three years. This is the essence of why we failed as a movement since Reagan. This is the essence of why we've been distracted, why we are on, while we are on political morphine, political heroin doped up, like I was from this kidney stone in my bed the last week. Um, the left is just winning by acclamation. It's not that the people support it, they don't. This is an eminently winnable issue. This is the most explosive issue because it's not like trash collection at a local level. You're debating immigration and sovereignty and culture and and fiscal cost and language and um, security, gangs, you know, third world culture, drugs. At a local level, it brings it all together, but at a local level where you could really have your influence, where you really know this neighborhood's going to get transformed. This area, it brings out a lot of passion. It's really good representative government at its heart. And Trump did it for us. Take yes for an answer. Stop only focusing on impeachment. This is the single most important issue that everyone in this country could easily impact. But I'm just telling you, like the Oklahoma governor, we talked about him, Stid, um Kevin Stid, uh, you know, it's horrible on crime and a lot of issues. Every single county was um, voted for Trump, right? So we should theoretically be able to lock up every single county from resettlement. They're working it. I mean, Texas County, Oklahoma and the Oklahoma panhandle. I don't know. What did it vote for Trump, like by a margin of 60 points or something? It has the highest percentage of not Middle Eastern, Middle Eastern refugees, but the Office of Refugee Resettlement, uh, the UACs, the Central American self-trafficked MS-13 punk teens. than anywhere, we spoke about this a lot last week with the social transformation in our rural communities of illegal aliens. But it's the same thing with refugee resettlement and through the UAC program, the two kind of merge. It's illegal immigrant chain migration through refugee resettlement. It's an article from it's called the74million.org. Schools in Portland, Maine open their arms to refugees, but academic progress remains elusive. Now, an immigrant superintendent is pushing for change. When Jong remembers that Portland, Maine, what Portland, Maine was like 40 years ago, he doesn't mince words. If someone didn't call me a racist racial epithet, said Chung, who emigrated from South Korea in 1976, I was like, what happened? Was there some kind of diversity training today? I mean, this is from their perspective. But they point out that um, today Portland's 6,800 students speak. 6,800 students! So we're not speaking about 300,000 students. We're not speaking about New York City. 6,800 students speak 67 different languages. Almost half are non-white. Of course, that's really important. right? That's I mean, we don't have a racial agenda. They're the ones that seem to have this racial agenda. Of course, refugees always have to be of a certain ilk. I never understood that. The percentage of students learning English is nearly twice that of New York City students. Roughly 5% of the students are homeless, nearly five times the statewide average. The district employs 12 full or part-time interpreters. A slew of nonprofit organizations like the Welcoming the Stranger and the Immigrant Legal Advocacy Advocacy Project offer support to immigrant communities. Um and basically a city of just 6700 people 67,000 people is full of social transformation. Now Portland Maine is kind of liberal especially now but folks this is happening and is going to happen in in Ohio has a Republican governor. He's open to it. North Dakota, Nebraska, all of these states have a bunch of Teletubby Republican politicians. If you guys in this audience don't send this show to 50 other people, and we're going to have more shows on this, then, I mean, we're going to lose this issue under Trump. And, and part of the problem is, in some ways, Trump did this too good. See, I've debated this with friends over the years. The um, other way of doing this is an opt-out. So all things equal, you could have resettlement, unless. Counties are gotten, are come to oppose it. Now you would say Trump did the better thing. The default is there's no resettlement unless you affirmatively are able to opt in and have a vote of support. But part of the problem is the other side is activated. They're completely lit because Trump is president. Remember when Obama was president, we were able to get people on this refugee resettlement issue. Now, well, Trump's president. It's all, it's all solved. Everything's good. I don't see any refugee resettlement impeachment muller 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 daniel what do you did you did you watch people come to me you know um at services on on saturday like hey do, do you see that in the judiciary committee do you watch the hearings dude i mean even in blue states but certainly in the red states and red counties where we're losing actually you could go and influence this this is going to affect you more than anything And this, you could build this precedent for the future. We do not have refugee resettlement here. So even this is an enduring change beyond Trump because at a macro level, Trump has reduced the refugee intake. So we're not gonna have that many, but this forces an enduring change for the future. Now, future presidents could undo the executive order, but it starts already in a local precedent and it gets the people involved. But there's only one side involved. The left could win 50-year cultural battles overnight without firing a shot right now in red areas because our people are doped up on political morphine about impeachment. A little bit, a little bit of diversifying our focus to the issues that matter will go a long way. I have so much more to say on this. And again, I encourage you to go to um refugee resettlementwatch.org. it's a terrific blog site that Anne corcoran who's an expert on refugee resettlement has focused like a laser beam on this issue for at least a decade that i know of um i, I need to make this a regular uh regular reading terrific website i'm gonna try to get her on the show but what i need you to, guys to do is email me anytime at thehorowitz at blazemedia.com you know where to go it's easy to google it I don't need to sit and create a step-by-step like these organizations. You're smart enough. If you have a mayor or if you're governed by a county commission, county council, um, and and a governor as well, but certainly very impactful at a local level, get yourself and some of your neighbors and friends and family members living in that area. If you're in Oklahoma, if you're in Nebraska, if you're in North Dakota, we have a lot of listeners from these places. Alaska even um, has some refugee resettlement. All states except for Wyoming, I believe. Texas, for sure. Go out there and you tell your governors, you pay for it with your own home. Don't destroy our communities. We don't need 67 languages in our communities. We don't need to pay for interpreters and social workers and all these problems and teen pregnancies and the rival gang factions from Somalia fighting each other in our communities. We don't need that happening in Norman Rockwell's America. Because the thing is, the left is not just winning in L.A. and New York. They're winning in every single one of those 3,200 or so counties and jurisdictions in this country. There is not a single county. Whereas the right has ceded half of America to the left. Oh, we can't win there. The left has, is playing as we speak on this and other issues in all 3,200 counties. Counties that Trump carried by 60, 70 points and they're being successful to a large degree, peeling off many of them, because even in the most conservative counties, we have loser, uh, perfidious Republicans that are elected. You need to be in their face. If you can't elect normal ones, at least scare them off, supporting refugee resettlement, ask for an affirmative rejection of any of this stuff, but the best thing is just to keep them from affirmatively supporting it, because if they don't support it, than these parasitic organizations and 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 remember this is the ultimate conflict of interest see i have no stake other than the abstract principles of sovereignty security culture society um to, to to fight this but whereas they are justifying their salaries based on taxpayer resettlement of these groups It's an antiquated concept. Anyone who understands the geopolitical scene knows that refugees have become an refugee resettlement is an outdated model. It doesn't help them. It doesn't do good for anyone. All it does is line their pockets. No one would miss it. It's much easier and cost effective to resettle them more in their region. That's been proven. You could actually resettle 10 times more people for that cost. It makes no sense unless you're trying to purposely a transform America and b just really just very practically line the pockets of people that have created an amazing racket, a very um, insular organizational structure to change the landscape of the nation and earn a buck, pretty hefty buck at that while they're at it this is one of the most insidious things it cuts to the core of social transformation without representation which is worse than what we fought over in the um revolutionary war but again president trump has given us that representation use it or lose it to the left and I'd rather reuse it than lose it. We are really going to dog this issue. Tomorrow, I hope to have Derek Maltz on to discuss the border, the cartels, the terrorism designation, and that does tie back into this issue as well. Send me your comments, concerns, and questions at dharwitz at blazemedia.com. Like our videos at YouTube. Follow our written content, endless stream of written content, at conservativereview.com. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.